Psalm 34 is a psalm of David, and the superscription above that psalm, we're not going to read that, but let me just read that to you, because it gives you a little background information about the psalm. It's a psalm of David when he feigned madness before the king who drove him away, and he departed. So let's read the word of the Lord, Psalm 34. We'll just read the first three verses of this psalm together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Thank you, Lord, for today that we can gather in your house, in your name, with your people. Now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit after them to draw them. Don't let one of them be lost, Lord. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before you're seated, I'm going to ask you to turn to at least one other person. And here's what I'd like for you to say to them. I want you to just look them right square in the eye. And I want you to tell them, attitude is altitude. King Achish stood gaping in slack-jawed disbelief at the figure before him. The man lying in the dust resembled beast more than human. The contrast between the last time he had seen him and now couldn't be starker. The sight was permanently etched in his memory. How could he ever forget the image of that young lad, head thrown back in a shout of victory that echoed through the valley, brandishing a sword in one hand, and raising the freshly severed head of the Philistine giant in the other. This pathetic creature before him now, hair matted, fingernails chipped, and fingers bleeding from scratching at the heavy wooden gate, spittle caked in his beard, reeking of sweat, urine, and excrement, muttering incoherently, bore scant resemblance to the youthful champion that had taken down Goliath with a stone flung from a sling and led the Israelite army in a rout of their Philistine oppressors. As Achish, king of Gath, looked upon David, he remembered the report of the song the women sang after the Israeli victory. Saul has slain his thousands 
and David his ten thousands. He remembered and wondered what had turned that man into the odious madman rolling in the dust. King Achish was a cruel leader, and he wanted nothing better than to take vengeance on the man who had been the reason for his humiliating defeat. At the same time, Achish was highly superstitious. According to the thinking of that day, if a mentally challenged person was executed or even harmed, it would bring disastrous results on the land. So when Achish kicked David out of the city, it wasn't an act of pity. It was an act of self-preservation born out of fear. Having narrowly escaped with his life by deceiving Achish and pretending to be out of his mind, David left Gath and hid himself in the cave of Adullam. There in that cave, washing away the last vestige of his humiliation, David began to reflect on the goodness of God that had inspired such a brilliant scheme and brought about his deliverance. He picked up his harp and with fingers still bruised and tender, began to pick out a melody. Then, with a heart filled with gratitude and a voice choked with emotion, he started singing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, if ever anybody had reason for praise, it was David. He had been called out of the pasture where he, as the youngest son, was tending his father's sheep and chosen above his brothers to be anointed by the prophet Samuel as king over Israel in place of the disobedient Saul. He had been given a position in the palace and access to the king. He had achieved fame as a warrior while still a youth by defeating the giant Goliath. He had successfully eluded Saul's murderous attempts on his life on two separate occasions. Now he had managed to escape certain execution at the hand of the avowed enemy of the people of God by pretending insanity. Whether he was facing a lion or a bear or a giant, God had helped him. At every stage of life, God had been good to him. Through every challenge... God had guided and guarded him. David had every reason to give praise. Psalm 34, where David writes about the goodness of God, is an acrostic psalm. This means that each line of the psalm begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the alphabet, 22 verses in the psalm. Every letter in the alphabet reminding David of the goodness of God. You know, in just a few weeks, we're going to be observing a holiday in this country that we call Thanksgiving. Some will be going out of town to be with family for that occasion. Others have family members that will be coming to be with them. People are making plans for that special meal that will be enjoyed. Parades will be watched. Football teams will be cheered. I read some time ago where someone humorously observed that Thanksgiving is all about getting your entire dysfunctional family under one roof and hoping the police don't get called. 
as I was thinking about this idea of thanksgiving, I was struck by how closely thanksgiving is linked with praise in the Bible. For example, Psalm 100 verse 4 instructs us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And then the writer goes on to give a list of things for which to give thanks. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your life with good things and renews your youth like the eagle. You find thanksgiving and praise connected in Hebrews 13, 15, when the writer says, through him, that is through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Even though thanksgiving isn't the same as praise, it's rare that you find one without finding the other. Thanksgiving and praise isn't just a religious exercise we go through as part of the ritual of coming together as a church. Thanksgiving is more than just a national holiday where we get time off from work and we join with family and friends and we eat too much. Praise isn't some kind of mass psychology we engage in just to get people excited and emotionally pumped. Thanksgiving and praise are powerful tools that have been placed in the life of every believer. Through the power of thanksgiving and praise, spiritual strongholds are torn down. Through the power of thanksgiving and praise, kingdom life is released. Through the power of thanksgiving and praise, faith is built, joy is expressed, doubt is erased, hope is rekindled. At the core, thanksgiving and praise are more about attitude than anything else. And it is your attitude that determines your altitude. If you want to rise above the limitations of your circumstance, if you want to live the overcoming life, if you want to soar above the pressure that seeks to drag you down, it all begins with attitude. That's the message of the wise man when he writes in Proverbs 23 and 7, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. Attitude is altitude. Say, say that again, would you? Attitude is altitude. The attitude of praise that causes you to rise above your problems is, first of all, purposeful. At the beginning of the psalm that forms the text for the message, David sang, I will bless the Lord. Even though this psalm was written as an expression of thanksgiving for the goodness of God in helping him escape from the clutches of an enemy king, a closer examination reveals that this was by no means a time of peace and prosperity for David. In fact, when you read the, the circumstances of David's life while he's writing this psalm, it would seem that he had everything going against him. See, <clears throat> he's running for his life, branded as an outlaw, his face is on wanted posters plastered all across the landscape. The whole country seems hostile to him. His wife has been given to another man. 
He's just barely escaped with his life after thoroughly humiliating himself. He's hiding in a cave, the cave of Adullam, and the only people he can seem to attract to his leadership is listed in 1 Samuel 22 and 2 as those who are in distress and in debt and everyone who was discontented. Now, that's not who you want to build a church with. I can just tell you that right now. He was the captain over a band of ruffians that were the outcasts from society. This is just about as bad as it can get. But when David starts to sing about his condition, you don't hear him whining. You don't hear him complaining about how bad he's being treated. You don't hear discouragement and despair in his voice. Instead, what you hear is a determination and a decision of his will. And he chooses to sing, I will bless the Lord at all times. See, <clears throat> see, the will is like a, traf a traffic cop it, to your mind, to your emotions, and to your body. Your will is the thing in your life that God has given power to make choices. What that means is you have a choice about how you will react to the winds that blow into your life. You can choose which way you're going to travel. You can choose which voices you're going to listen to. You can choose which pressures you're going to yield to. You can choose at each bend in the road that you're going to be intentionally yielded to the Word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can choose to make up your mind today in this situation, in the midst of this adversity, with the winds of opposition blowing in your face, you can choose a position that says, I will bless the Lord. I'm reminded of the story I heard about a lady, an elderly lady. She was well known for her faith and for her boldness in talking about it. Several times a day. She would walk out onto her front porch stand and shout, praise the Lord. Well, next door to her lived an avowed atheist who would get so angry at her proclamations that he would shout back, there ain't no Lord. Well, hard times set in on this elderly lady and she prayed for God to send her some assistance. She stood on her porch and shouted, Praise the Lord. God, I need food. I'm having a hard time. Please, Lord, send me some groceries. The next morning, the lady went out on her porch, and lo and behold, there was a large bag of groceries sitting right by her door. She shouted, praise the Lord. My prayer for groceries has been answered. God provided. The neighbor jumped from behind a bush and said, aha, I told you there was no Lord. God didn't put those groceries there. I bought those groceries and put them on your porch. The lady started jumping up and down, clapping her hands, and she shouted even louder, praise the Lord. He not only sent me groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. <laughs> praise the Lord. Our brother Larry Gillespie has written a book called The Coping Strategy. Many of you have that book. You've read it. If you haven't, you need to get it. In that book, he uses the word coping as an acrostic. And the C stands for choice. I want to tell you that one chapter alone is worth the price of the book. 
in that book, he reminds the reader that everyone has a choice. You can choose how you respond. You can choose how you will behave. You can choose what you will think about and what you will meditate on. See, it's the will that brings the emotions and the body and the mind into proper alignment with the divine purpose. One of the reasons you continue to give in to the temptation is because you haven't yet come to the point where you say, I will not do that anymore. And I want to tell you, the time to make that kind of a decision is not when you're in the middle of the temptation. The time to make a decision of your will is before you ever get presented with the option. That's what it's talking about in Job 31 and 1 when Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Before the temptation was present, he had already decided how he was going to react. You need to make a covenant with your hands, with your eyes, with your feet, with your mouth, with your mind, that before you are ever presented with the opportunity, you're going to be holy. You will be godly. You will be righteous. You will be pure. You will be ethical. You will be a person of integrity. David decided long before he was ever faced with severe adversity, while still a young lad out in the pasture, tending the family flocks, he had purposed in his heart and in his mind, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will be a person who looks to the Lord first. I will be a person who gives praise no matter what the situation. I just wish I could get somebody listening to this message to come to that place of decision before this service is over, where you make up your mind, where you decide no matter what, I will bless the Lord. I will not give in to despair. I will not give in to doubt. I will trust. I will give thanks. I will praise. I will bless the Lord. You can decide that you're going to praise. The kind of praise I'm talking about today that becomes an attitude that lifts you to an altitude is not only purposeful, it's also perpetual. David sang, I will bless the Lord, watch this, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. See, this isn't some fair-weather response. This is the response of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the response of Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is the response of Philippians 4.6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God if you're going to gain the right altitude then you're going to have to come to the place where you make a conscious decision of your will that no matter what the circumstances say and no matter what the enemy of your soul says and no matter what other people say you're going to be a person of praise this is what Hebrews 13 and 5 is talking about when it says to give a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, giving thanks. That's what God is looking for today. How many of you know that sometimes standing and giving praise is a sacrifice? I don't feel like it. 
I'm upset with God and everybody else. The whole world, I'm just ticked off. But I've decided I'm going to praise. It's a sacrifice. That's what God's looking for today. He's looking for somebody with a made-up mind that regardless of what comes, regardless of what goes, you're going to praise the Lord. See, this kind of praise is not based on feelings. It's based on faith. Sometimes it is a sacrifice because it's really easy to get focused on what you don't have instead of giving praise for what you do have. It's that sacrificial offering that we see having a powerful effect over and over again in the pages of the Bible. See, when Abel offered a sacrifice, he was accepted and approved by God. When Noah offered a sacrifice, God made a covenant not to destroy the world by water ever again. When Abraham offered a sacrifice, he received God's covenant of blessing and prosperity. When Moses offered a sacrifice, the nation of Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt. When Job offered a sacrifice, his lost fortunes were restored twice as much as before. When Gideon offered a sacrifice, he was called a mighty man of valor, and he destroyed the oppressors of God's people with an army of only 300 men. When Elijah offered a sacrifice, the fire of the Lord fell, and the mouths of the false prophets were silenced. When Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, the power of Satan was broken. Demons were vanquished. Sin debt was canceled. Healing was provided. The sting of death was removed. The victory of the grave was defeated. Access into the presence of the Almighty was granted. Burdens were lifted. Hope was restored. Grace was multiplied. Heaven was opened. Eternal life was given. This is the breakthrough the Lord has for you today. This is the altitude you reach as you offer a sacrifice of praise. No longer is it a sacrifice of the blood of animals. No longer is it a sacrifice of burnt flesh. It's a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that offer thanksgiving to God. That's when God comes on the scene. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up. That's when the breakthrough comes. That's when you rise above the problem. I'm telling you, attitude is altitude. Perpetual praise means that you praise not just for the great things, but for the small things. You praise not just for the rare things, but for the common things. You praise not just for the present blessings, but for the past mercies. You praise both for the seen and the unseen. You praise both for the miraculous and the mundane. You praise both in the good times and in the times of challenge. Praise for all the blessings received and praise for all the negatives that have not happened to you. All the trials and troubles you've been spared. You can praise God for that. Yesterday I spent some time, in fact all day come to think of it, out in my backyard, I'm in the process of trying to build, put together and build a gazebo in the backyard of my house. For some of you, this would be a simple chore. For me, it's a major undertaking. And one of the things that they have, 
it, it, it's, it's, it's a metal roof that's going on this, and it came in pieces, and all the metal pieces have a film on both sides that has to be peeled off before you can attach anything. I spent the better part of the time that I was working yesterday peeling off film. I have a big old chunk out of my thumb here. I have one here, one here on this side. My fingers are swollen. The ends of my fingers are, they're, they're sensitive to the touch. Playing the piano today was just gruelingly, excruciatingly painful, trying to I played very lightly today, turn up the microphones. And I woke up this morning and I hurt in places I didn't even know I had body. And I, I, I kind of turned in, in getting out of bed, I was like this, and it's like, oh, oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> And I, I looked over at, <laughs> at Betsy and I said, I'm just really sore today. But then I said, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I don't, that, yeah, I hurt, but thank you that things function. Thank you. I don't have some of the stuff that's going on with some of the people that I called their names earlier for prayer requests. Thank you, Lord, I'm able to get out of bed. Thank you, Lord, I'm able to come. See, sometimes you ought to praise God for the negatives that have not happened to you. You ought to praise Him for all the trials and the troubles and the struggles you've been spared. Oh, maybe it's bad right now, but I want to tell you, it could be a whole lot worse. And when everything else has gone down the tubes and it's all falling apart... <laughs> But I'm saved. I said I'm saved. At the end of the day, do what you will with the body. I'm saved. Maybe you're focused on all you don't have. And you're wondering how you can praise. Maybe your bank account is depleted. Maybe your cupboard is bare. Maybe your health is deteriorated. Maybe your relationship is soured. Maybe your experience is making you feel that God is letting you down. I want to remind you that experience is not the ultimate teacher of truth. Somebody needs to write that down and put it on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror. Experience is not the ultimate teacher of truth. We live in a world where we are bombarded with advertisements and invitations to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff, and we're told that these are the things we need to make us truly happy. The same world that tells us this is the same world that depletes us, makes us wonder if we are successful or valuable. I'm telling you, it takes crazy faith to praise, to sing praise when you can't make sense of your life. It takes crazy faith to trust 
when the world is caving in on you. It takes crazy faith to believe that God will provide all you need when it feels like you need it all. It takes crazy faith to hear the voice of God in the midst of all the things that clamor for your attention and drain you of your energy. Crazy faith is what pleases God. Crazy faith is what God uses to accomplish his will and purpose in your life and in this world. It may just be that things are really bad for you right now. If so, God's asking you for some crazy faith. He asks you to believe his promise that it will all turn out good in the end. If it isn't good right now, well, that's just because it isn't yet the end. Why don't you take a moment and exercise some crazy faith and give God praise. Praise him right in the midst of the storm. Praise him because he's a good God. Praise him for his goodness. Praise him for his faithfulness. Praise him for his promise. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his mercy. Praise him for his grace. If God had not been good to you, where would you be? You ought to praise him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. The attitude of praise that takes you to the higher altitude is first of all purposeful, then it is perpetual. Finally, I want you to see that it is a proclamation. David sang in verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, anytime in the Bible, when it talks about his name, it isn't just talking about saying God or Lord or Jesus over and over again. His name represents the divine essence, who he is, the fullness of his nature. When somebody says John Morgan, it's not about, just about the name, it's about who I am. With God, it's even more than that. It is the totality of his nature. Here's what I want to impress upon you. If you haven't gotten anything else I've said in this message, I want you, I want you to get this one truth. Why don't you just nudge your neighbor and make sure he or she is awake real quick, okay? You know, some people come to church and it's the best nap they get all week. And I'm okay with that. It makes me feel like I'm fulfilling a, a, a needed service. One of the greatest things you could ever learn is this. Your circumstances and God's character are not necessarily linked together. Your circumstances and God's character are not necessarily linked together. See, most people try to make their circumstance the measure of all things. They try to define God by their circumstance instead of defining their circumstance by God. And when they do that, then when things are good, God is good. Ah, but when things are bad, well, then God is bad. 
I told you a few moments ago and asked you to write it down so you can put it on your mirror or your refrigerator. Experience is not the ultimate teacher of truth. Your experience is not the measure of all things. God is the measure of all things. So when your circumstances are good, then God is good. When your circumstances are bad, God is still good. Don't confuse those two things. See, praising God doesn't add one thing to his glory. Refusing to praise him doesn't do anything to diminish his glory. He is still who he always was, who he will always be. The reason you can still praise, even during the worst adversity of your life, is because he is still the same. Even if your health is failing, God is still good. If your marriage is falling apart, God is still good. If your kids are rebellious, God is still good. If your job isn't turning out to be all it was advertised, God is still good. If your cash flow has dried up, God is still good. When you magnify his name, you're not doing anything to make God any bigger than he already is, but you're enlarging him in your own mind. You're reminding yourself of who he really is. When you praise him by proclaiming his attributes, then those parts of his nature become the very parts that are magnified and then are manifested in your life. It is your proclamation of his divine attributes that connects you to the very resources that are most needed in your time of distress. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? That's an awful lot of stuff that you just threw out there. Well, here's what it means. When you are weak, praise him for his strength. When you are under attack, praise him for his protection. When your world is collapsing around you, praise him for being your strong tower of safety. When you are lost, he is the way. When you can't find a way out, he is the door. When friends let you down, he is faithful. When the situation is bad, he is good. When you have no resources, he is your provider. When you are defenseless, he is your defender. When everything is shifting and falling apart, he is unchanging. When you're falsely accused, he is just. When you're condemned, he is mercy. When you're hurt, he is your healer. When you're broken, he is your restorer. Instead of always telling God how big your problem is, maybe it's time to magnify the Lord and tell your problem just how big your God is. I wish I had somebody who would dare to praise him in your time of trouble. I wish I had somebody who would dare to praise him in the midst of your despair. I wish I had somebody who would dare to praise him in your loneliness. I wish I had somebody who would dare to praise him not because you feel it and not because everything is going the way you want it to go and not because everybody else is doing it, but just because he's God, just because you need his help, just because you need his power released in your life, just because you need a breakthrough, just because you need deliverance, just because you need miracle intervention. I wish somebody would dare to praise him and then watch what God will do. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Come on and give him praise if you believe what I'm preaching today. Magnify the Lord with me. 
praise deliverance will come when you just praise the Lord. You don't need somebody to lay hands on you. You don't need to come to an altar. You just need to lift up holy hands and you need to magnify the Lord. Magnify God in your own mind and watch God turn this situation around for you. Watch God move. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. <laughs> if you want to rise above the problems that get you down, de develop an attitude of praise. Attitude is altitude. Say it, say it with me. Attitude is altitude. Oh, come on. oh that feels so good. I want to say it one more time, would you? Attitude is altitude. Praise God. Come on, give God praise one more time in this house, would you? I'm going to ask our elders if they would prepare to serve the communion. Today, when we come to the Lord's table, we come at his invitation. It is here that our thanksgiving and praise finds its reason and its purpose. It is the provision of the Lord Jesus in his substitutionary death that enables us to offer the kind of praise I've been preaching about today. Today, as we receive the bread that speaks of the body of Jesus and the cup that speaks of his blood, I want to tell you, it isn't a morbid rehearsing of the gruesome death he died. Instead, it's a praise for the life his death, burial, and resurrection give to us. We receive these elements today with gratitude. We receive them with thanks. We receive them with praise. And when we receive them, we allow the power of his life to restore us to change our attitude to one of choosing praise. Choosing praise. Our elders are going to distribute the elements to you now. And I ask you to hold them until everyone's been served, and then we're going to stand together and we'll partake the communion of the Lord's table together.
the same with arms of love.